You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. Welcome back to another episode of the Voluntary Vixens podcast. This is Maddie, joined as usual by my lovely co-host, Jesse. Hi! And today, I'm joined, well, so it's really like Maddie and the nurses today, um, but we're joined by this outspoken, awesome nurse that we found on Instagram through another outspoken artist, I I guess you can call um, Erica from New York City. (laughs) I don't know. We're finding very just different people than we think would be prominent voices speaking out, but I I can only see this and count this as a good thing that like we're hearing more normal people like I I don't know if you consider yourself a crazy anarchist like like us but um you know it's not just us anymore I think it's a very positive thing to see others kind of questioning the system and questioning the narrative and so we brought Rita on with us and Rita um you know thanks for joining us tonight yeah, thanks for having me. And no, I don't consider myself normal. <laughs> I don't think any nurse does, was, to be I honest. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to go with that, but that works too. <laughs> yeah, the normal people are the ones we have to worry about, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> the normal ones, I mean, like the memes, thank God for memes. I mean, memes got us through the past four years. They got us through this year. Um, I think it's always important to keep um, a good sense of humor in mind. And, ow, cat attacking me. (laughs) Okay, um, always uh, a good idea to keep ourselves in good humors. But uh, so the memes were like, this is the conspiracy theorist and this is the uh, person who follows the science. Like the (laughs) comparing... So, for example, I think it's, like, that female governor of Oregon, maybe, with, um, like, she's got that Christmas-themed mask, and it's a snow globe, and, like, it's just the tackiest shit you've ever seen, but also... I don't know what if I've you, seen that. What are you doing? Like, it's a face... Like, <laughs> it's just virtue signaling to the nth degree, and um, versus, like, you know, a person, like, hugging their friends as the conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so... We're in a we're living in the upside down world. Um, in case you all weren't aware, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're very aware of that fact. And um, you know, you're here to hang out with us and feel not quite as alone. But so, I guess uh, somewhere to get started, Rita. Do you want to? I don't know actually if you're in New York or if that was just like an association because of Instagram where I found you from a person who's from New York. Um, but where are you located if you don't mind sharing that with us? Yeah, I think that was just an association. So I live in central Illinois. Um, okay. So I live in the middle of nowhere. I work at a larger hospital away from my home. Yeah. But I haven't really said what hospital I work at for but, obvious yeah. reasons. You don't have to do that. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah. So I live in central Illinois, have two little girls, married a farmer, just, you know, doing my thing and kind of, I was on Instagram, just kind of talking healthy lifestyle before because of things that happened in my past and just wanting to help people, you know, seeing things that happen at the hospital, having a health situation of my own and knowing that we don't always do things as we should on the front end. And then this whole thing started blowing up and I was seeing things happening in my world, in my hospital and things, and then seeing something completely different reported on the news. And I realized it was almost lying by omission if I didn't kind of start talking about it. So anyway. Now, Ooh, I'm interested. Yeah, um, that was my question. Can you give us some, ex- <laughs> can you give us some examples? Cause I mean, you know, so Jesse's in East Tennessee, I'm close to Baltimore. And so we kind of, and then we've got, you know, our greater network and friends that we're always trying to like touch base with and like what the heck's going on in your part of the world and country. So um, I'd love to hear about, you know, what you kind of just alluded to that things were being discussed on the news, kind of like maybe indirectly, not about your specific hospital, but about hospitals generally. Hospitals generally Mm -hmm. were supposed to be just an absolute madhouse. And I'm wondering if that was the case. Um, Yeah. No, it wasn't the case. But (laughs) uh, we're picking up now a little bit, but it's winter, you know, and if there's something new happening, obviously it's going to be picking up in the winter. But so anyway, it's not crazy still, but it's picking up. But in the spring, when everything shut down, like March, we were, for lack of better words, dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was just like there, we were slow. They shut down elective cases for a month and a half, two months. Um, I was calling nurses off every single shift. Um, we had nurses from cath lab, OR coming up to see if we could help, they could help us because they didn't have anything to do. You know, we didn't, our specific hospital did not lay anyone off, but that was uncommon. Mm -hmm. A lot of hospitals in the area were laying people off. Um, so there was that. And then there was the complete freak out about COVID and patients. I work in a cardiovascular ICU. So we at the time, we were getting a few like, you know, COVID rule-outs or occasionally a COVID positive. Some of them, most of them were, they were trying to send to CCU, which is the other ICU. Um, but anyways, most of the patients we get are cardiac related, um, open heart surgery recoveries, things like that. Um, so these cardiac patients we were getting, you know, what are the signs and symptoms of a heart attack? <laughs> Shortness of breath, mm-hmm. you know, chest pain. Um, sometimes some cough with heart failure, things like that. And so these patients were coming in and they were like, oh my gosh, what if they have COVID? And they were testing these patients. And at the time, like now we have tests that come back within a few hours. And if you do a rapid test within like 45 minutes tops. But at the time, the tests were taking, you know, at least 12 hours, sometimes over a day. And so these patients were sitting there infarcting like having a heart attack oh no in limbo being ruled ruled out for covid yeah and so like it was more it was every so i'm prn i work every single wednesday i'm the unl in our unit and like the charge nurse whatever and so every wednesday i would come in this was happening every week there was a new patient same scenario you know 
oh, they finally made it to cath lab and they've got left main disease and their ejection fraction is down to nothing because they've been infarcting for, you know, 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you know what's happening. Their troponins are high, which is the enzyme for the non-medical people. That's the enzyme, you know, that is indicative of heart attack that we monitor. And so it's like climbing and skyrocketing and it's obvious what's happening. And I even had taken it to my manager and she was pretty concerned, but the head critical care doc, he was like, well, it's pretty hard to tell, you know, the difference between a heart attack and COVID maybe. I'm like, is it? Like, is this, is this for real? Like, (laughs) and then another critical care doc was all, she, she was completely concerned. She was, I was like, this is negligent. She's like, yeah, it's negligent. So, I mean, there was just a very, the biggest concern for me was people freaking out about one thing, forgetting all this other stuff that's still happening. And People are suffering, you know? Yeah. That was really scary for me. Um, Another thing was the no visitors. Now we're letting some visitors into the ICU. uh, But at the time, no visitors for anyone. Mm. And, you know, some of my nurse friends were kind of like, oh, well, it's understandable, you know? And I'm like, wait, why do kids get visitors? And they're like, well, because they're young and they can't make decisions for themselves. I'm like, well, Why don't adults who are intubated and sedated and can't speak for themselves get a visitor? It's the same situation. They're like, oh, it's a good point. I'm like, how is nobody thinking of this stuff? Like, they have nobody to advocate for them. I don't, it was just things like that that were just boggling my mind. And it felt like everybody was losing their mind. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things when I was reaching out to you is I was asking if you were, if your job was getting on you about it because here or all the hospitals around here if a nurse is caught talking about any of this online and any social media she could get fired immediately because they just don't want yeah caught that word though caught. Ex- yeah oh my yeah, gosh there you go exactly which is ridiculous it just seems like you know why what, what was the point of all of the you know learning about uh nightingale and how she spoke up about cleanliness and how important it was to sanitize and that's what nurses do we speak up we we are the loud ones we call Mm -hmm. out things and then when we do it now we get fired yeah i know there's a couple travelers that worked with me that um, one of them specifically she was like man she goes if you were working at the hospital i came from she's like you would have been gone and so i don't really know I have no idea. I mean, I'm a Christian and I just, I'm like, God's protecting me or something because I have no idea how I haven't been. I don't know, even asked my manager like a week ago. I was like, are you going to fire me? And she was like, no, why would I fire you? I was like, okay. <laughs> so I I don't know. I, I have no idea. Have, do you have any other peers that you work with that are on the COVID train that are like, wear your mask, shaming everybody, you know? Oh, yeah. And oh, do yeah, they, for sure. Did they, they try to shame you or, you know, throw shade Tell on you? Had, yeah. <laughs> no. So I guess I do have an idea why I'm in the position I'm in. Because I've always been outspoken in my personal life. Like, I've never been the quiet one in my personal life. So, like, people at work, I've been there for over 14 years. So people know how I am and who I am. Um, so to the question of has anybody shamed me? The only person I really had shamed me in any way was kind of like just coming up to me. Do you know like that there is somebody dying every shift upstairs right now? And I was like, yeah. I said, 
it's an ICU and 60% of people die in a hospital. So it's not uncommon. I was like, I'm not saying it's not sad, but it's just as sad when the patient downstairs died last night, you know, of some kind of heart issue, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and that was a brand new orientee that is her in her first weeks oh as a nurse. Well, but that's, <laughs> that had some, that, I mean, that took some gall though. Like, like the other nurses are sitting there like, I can't believe she just did that to you. But, um, <laughs> but that's the only person, only person at work that's tried to shame me. There's other ones that I'm sure don't agree with me and are talking behind my back, but whatever. But a lot of yeah. them, a lot of them are coming up and thanking me mm-hmm. and telling me I just have the guts to say what they want to say, but don't feel like they can. Yeah. Because they're scared to lose their job. Yeah. And one of the things I used to be an oncology nurse before I'm doing what I'm doing now. And I, I'm, you know, hearing about all these patients that have, they put off getting screenings. They, you know, they, they just didn't get their treatments, you know, because they just didn't want to be a burden and, or they just, you know, they thought they could wait until this was over. They didn't think it was going to last most of the year. And so now they've gone without treatment. They never got their screening Mm -hmm. and things have escalated. And now a treatment for them would be a lot more in depth and a lot more complicated than it would have been if they would have found it early, you know? So. Yeah, that's sad. And that's my mother-in-law is kind of what is probably would have been one of your patients if she were in Illinois because she was a cardiac. um, She was in, she had heart failure and she just neglected herself when she was, she, I remember she lived in, um, she lives in Pennsylvania or she did live in Pennsylvania, but I remember her calling my husband saying she was having a hard time breathing and my husband was, you know, he, he's all the way, you know, down here and he was trying to get her to go to the doctor and just, you know, go get checked out and she didn't want to get tested and she didn't want to burden the system. She's like, I'll, I'll you know, this is just for a few weeks, so I'll just wait it out and he never made it. So she's probably one of millions of Americans right now who probably have been in this, who've died unnecessarily if they would have just caught everything earlier, you know? So she passed away. Yeah. She had, um, what happened with her, she had, she's had cardiac failure for a while, you know, Mm -hmm. or heart failure for a while. So, you know, you know, elderly, they, they go into heart failure and they can, manage that for many years with Lasix and Mm -hmm. heart medication. Um, and all she, I think she, what happened with her, she let it, the edema go for too long and it filled the liquid filled in her lungs. But -hmm. I think that if she would have just gone to the doctor, they, she probably still would have had to go to the hospital, but they would have caught it early and put her on Lasix earlier and they could have, it, it wouldn't have gone straight into respiratory failure. And then she also had, yeah. you know, once you're going into respiratory failure, then you have, you know, acidosis and all this other stuff you have to fight, all these electrolyte imbalances. It's just, it becomes way, everything becomes more complicated as you wait. Mm-hmm. So I just can think of so many people, you know, that, um, just in, I'm, I'm around a lot of elderly people. And I can think of a lot of people that they, they kind of let themselves go because they thought we were just going to be down for two weeks. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me mad about this, too, is there's just so many people that lied from the very beginning about what this meant. 
We didn't have to wear a mask. It's mm-hmm. only two weeks. And so a lot of people did not, they neglected themselves and they didn't take care of themselves because they didn't think it was going to last this long. You know, and now we don't know what to believe yeah. because these pe- these so-called professionals have been making up things as they go along. Well, that's a really good point. Um, my director came by at work last week and he actually, he kind of tried to shame me too. <laughs> and anyway, um, he was, you know, just ta- chit-chatting about some stuff. And I said, you know, we are having an increase in patients now, but I said, you know, like the parable, I think it's a fable, parable, whatever, the boy who cried wolf, you know, like if you, mm-hmm. so many times you say the wolf's come into town and he's not, you know, and for six months, we basically did that saying that we were full, you know, it's so bad, stay home. And meanwhile, we weren't. And so mm-hmm. now, like for the last four weeks, we have been more full than we were. But I said, what, do, how do you expect people to believe us when for six months, all these nurses have been saying on social media, you know, wear a mask, wear a mask. And now finally, you have a month where you are more full and you want people to believe you when you've cried wolf this whole time, you know? And he was like, Oh, well, I guess I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's been frustrating too. So. And it's definitely, um, I think what we're seeing and kind of everywhere and, but like, they're also shaming really like everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, you've probably noticed this and um, maybe you've got some examples from like within the hospital, but you know, I hear on my phone calls and stuff that, and my interactions with um, clients and, ex- and experts that are in the medical profession, um, you know, it it was our fault. People were just too loose in the summer. They didn't wear masks. They weren't distant. And, and now it's our fault. And like, it's almost like this. Okay, right. And these are also <clears throat> not the religious folks. And then all like, but all of a sudden, like, they're kind of playing into the idea that, you know, they're on Santa's naughty list now, or, you know, like God is spiting them and they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Like kind of all this like religious fervor behind or or around like this respiratory virus that is supposed to be so, so contagious that it's basically ubiquitous in the air, honestly, and it's aerosolized. And honestly, if it is that, it, it means like we've all probably been exposed to it. We're we've all probably mostly not been affected by it. And, um, you know, I think they purposefully maybe aren't doing many antibody tests. Um, I don't know that for a fact. That's just a a suspicion of mine because like what they do rely on is these PCR tests, which, um, we've known and like the New York times even released it on a Saturday (sighs) conveniently, um, their report about how obviously, high and false false positives they've been. Um, but it's kind of like what you were saying, like, you know, it's these policies and this um, idea of, like, this being the only, this, like, this is the plague. Everything else, mm-hmm. and all, all other health issues go out the window. Yeah. Like, that person having a heart attack, better check to see if they have COVID first. Literally, my brother fractured his spine this summer in two, if not three places, First thing they did when he got to the hospital, check for COVID. Yep. <sighs> so it just makes yep. me blow my like brain. Just every wants patient. To die. Now, he could that. have been paralyzed for life, and they had to make sure he didn't have this respiratory virus that or, or test positive from a PCR test. Yeah. 
We're testing every patient when they come in the hospital now. And get this. So they're not testing. I know some people in the higher ups will argue that they are testing for the flu, but they're not. You can see the patient's charts. They're not testing for the flu because they don't have enough of the medium because they're using it for all these COVID tests. But we're testing every single patient that walks in the door for COVID. And so my question, I've asked the director, I've asked my manager, I've asked multiple people, how do we even know that we are getting what this person is sick with? If, you know, even, I don't trust basically anything Fauci says, but he has even said that they're cycling these tests like so many times that you could potentially be catching something that the patient's not, that's not even the causation for an illness, Right. right? And so my thing is, if we're testing... These people are sick, obviously. They're hospitalized in the ICU. So what happens when you're testing them with this and they get a positive, but if it's cycled so many times that you could be catching, you know, picking something up anyways, catching is not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Detecting, and then yes. we're not testing them for anything else because you got the positive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then the so, Other things aren't being ruled out or considered yeah. or treated. Yeah. Exactly. And my other, I don't know, there's so many, so many little things that I keep like hammering on. But the other thing is, there's such a psychological component to this. You know, you've been told in the news media that this is like so deadly for how many months. And I'm sorry, the mind is a really powerful thing. And it is when you, they say you have this and you are isolated in a room by yourself in an unfamiliar place with no family and nobody other than some nurse coming in every hour or so, and all you're hearing is like a ventilator and something else, you know, all these hospital noises, that's pretty crummy. And then your nurse doesn't believe you're going to live, your doctor doesn't believe you're going to live, and you don't believe you're going to live because you've been told in the news that it's deadly. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a bad combination. Yeah, there's no hope. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Compare that, com- like, in especially you, Jesse, since you did work with cancer patients, but, like, compare that with cancer patients. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, you try and give them the greatest hope possible. Like, try and, you know, be realistic, I'd imagine, because you don't want to give false hope. But also, like, you try and lay out the, you know, the stats, the um, the figures, like, this is the these are the different routes we can take. Um, you know, this is um, what the literature shows. And, but really, like, it's, it's a death wit, like, mm-hmm. it's a death sentence, and that they, they kind of give it to you. And so, um, so I, like, literally just pulled up the CDC's website, because it's something else I saw come in earlier this week. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where they're just admitting it, like, point blank, sliding it in there, and um, hiding it from us. But so now I... This new term, PIC. Yes. So I, that's the, what I was hoping you were going to bring up. Yeah. So <laughs> key up, everybody. Uh, pandemia or pandemia, whatever. Uh, Alex Berenson. I love his. Uh, he's like one of the most sane people on um, Twitter talking mm-hmm. about all this. But I love his tweets, like where it's just like attention pandemia. <laughs> um, key updates for week forty nine, ending December fifth, twenty twenty. So you know. Um, I don't want to read the whole thing, very CDC speak, but what catches my eye, um, oh, actually, this is important. So 
let's see. I'll just do the whole thing because nobody else like really follows the CDC website because it's purposefully a mess. Mm-hmm. But so nationally, surveillance indicators tracking levels of SARS-CoV-2 cir- circulation and associated illnesses have been increasing sep- since September. However, the percentage of emergency department visits for COVID-like illnesses, CLI, decreased slightly during week 49. So that's good news, everybody. So that's some, just a just a positive note real quick. Um, the per- You can't celebrate anything. There's no good news. Um, the percentage of deaths due to pneumonia, influenza, and COVID-19, parentheses, PIC, has been increasing since October. Both COVID-19-associated hospitalizations and PIC, again, that means pneumonia, influenza, and COVID-19, they're co- you can't see me right now, listeners, but I'm combining my three fingers. They've taken three separate things and combined it into one thing. Um, PIC mortality for the most recent weeks are expected to increase as more data are received. Oh, so you're telling me that it's flu season, um, pneumonia, which, you know, thousands, if not millions of Americans actually die from pneumonia every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually secondary so- to something else. Yes. Well, so like all of these normal background, like that sounds cold, but it's it's a actual scientific and medical word. Background rates of seasonal flu, um, pneumonia are being lumped into COVID-19, which is supposed to be the most uniquely worst thing, awful plague ever. <sighs> and um, but in order to make these numbers as big and scary as they need them to be to lock us in our homes and keep wearing stupid masks that don't do anything. They need to lump them in with actual substantive numbers is what they're doing, Mm -hmm. guys. Yeah. Well, and and where's the lie? The Spanish flu, the same thing. Like the the deaths from Spanish flu turns out to be that most of the deaths were from pneumonia secondary to the Spanish flu. So people didn't didn't die from the flu per se as much as they did from the pneumonia that developed afterwards, which that could have been caused by just unclean living conditions at the time many of the people that got sick were soldiers and they were living in barracks that were next to the horse stall when they were burning they were burning horse poop next to so they were breathing in horse poop fire so you know (laughs) you're gonna get sick turns (laughs) yeah well i mean look if it's all and on that like when you talk about um secondary infections too like a lot of people would get on me talking about this and say, well, if they hadn't had COVID in the first place, they wouldn't have got whatever, you know, so it's okay that they call it a COVID death. You know, if they wouldn't have had the pulmonary embolism or they wouldn't have been in the hospital to get the whatever if they hadn't had COVID. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Like, I'm not going to dispute that. But the thing is, we don't do that with other deaths and Mm -hmm. other illnesses, right? So flu, you got a patient that's in the hospital for a month because they were, you know, intubated and on ECMO or whatever with influenza, and then they develop a pulmonary embolism a month out and die. Mm-hmm. Okay. They are not labeled a flu death, but with COVID, they would be. And so you can't even compare it to anything else. And that's the problem. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. You can do it either yeah, way. You've got to do it consistent. You? So people have a, so people have something to base it off of, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, For, it's just the inconsistency, know. and I mean, I'm one of yes. those things. I'm, I'm one of those types of people that maybe I'm a little bit autistic, but 
I can't stand when people are not being consistent and being illogical about things. I, I yes. watch a lot of the nurses that I went to nursing school with who had better grades than I did. And they are getting emotional and they're pleading for everybody to just wear their masks so that we can all get back to normal. Because they think that somehow we'll get, they'll we'll get let us get back to normal. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, and I'm just like, aren't you questioning anything? Like, isn't there anything inside of you that, that thinks that there is something off about all of this? It just drives me crazy when I see this because, you know, I, I'm a hospice nurse, too. And it's like. I've seen people die horrific deaths and I'm sure the people that are dying, like any respiratory death is always going to be just painful. Yeah. It sounds awful. Yeah. But I mean, and so I'm not trying to say that that's not um, a bad thing. It's just like, you know, I would just hate to see people dying unnecessarily from something that could have been treated if it got caught early. There's a it's fine that we're testing. I don't really mind that we're testing for COVID per se, but I feel like a lot of times patients that if they do test positive for COVID because they did 45 cycles or something like that, mm -hmm. then we forget all the other reasons why they're in the hospital and we neglect them on those terms. You know, mm -hmm. and you guys were talking about like my poor aunt. Yeah. You're talking about the psychological effects of things too. It's like, I think that one of the things I'd learned in nursing school is that we have to look at a patient holistically too. And when a patient, like, especially in cancer, um, and I'm sure it's the same in ICU, when you have a patient who is depressed, anxious, and um, feels alone, their recovery rate is going to be a lot less than somebody who has that support system with them. Like, their family can come and visit them. They hear from their loved ones. They have people who are like, just get better. Physical touch. I mean, that's a big thing in cancer. I cannot even tell you. I have seen people who had, I thought for sure that they were going to die. And their whole family shows up and they say, you know, just get better. You have such as, you know, little Jimmy's graduation coming up. And they gave that person a reason to fight. I've seen that happen in cancer. And I'm sure that has happened in ICU too. Um, but now it's, it's just so heartbreaking thinking about, can you imagine just being on a ventilator and you can't hear from your loved ones? You can't even see them. And doctors and nurses, I mean, let's just be real. You can hear conversations outside your room and, you know, especially in the ICU. So if you had, if you happen to hear something, I mean, God, that would just be heartbreaking. And it makes me sad that the healthcare field has just completely forgotten about the actual patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The holistic approach, like you said, that doesn't exist. Like we go through body systems, mm -hmm. but the whole person isn't just your body systems. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh. You, I feel like we leave out emotional, we leave out nutrition. Mm -hmm. Like those are too big, like emotional and psychological nutrition. Like those are the things that spiritual, like all of that stuff that isn't pharmaceutical, that a pharmaceutical can't fix gets left out basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there aren't physicians that do that. Like I, I mean, I watched a surgeon probably a year ago stop and pray with a patient, you know, and I was just mind blown. Like That's he, beautiful. I totally have respect for that man. But 
this doesn't happen very often. It's, it's you know, the exception. It's not the norm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just don't want to say there's not any yeah, good ones no, out there, but not. it's just like, you know, not the norm. Right. <laughs> not the norm. And I mean, there's, I mean, we could go into a whole spiel about how the healthcare field has moved away from the patient. Our primary pay, you know, our payer is going to be the insurance company. So that's who we need to make happy. We don't care so much about making our patients or their families happy anymore. I noticed that a lot in the hospital. Yeah. And I even got jaded at times. And I remember patients being like, well, you know, I'm never coming back here. And I remember us being like, okay. But when I really think back on it, though, it's like, you know, we really should care what the patient thinks. I mean, that really should be our focus. But we know we're not getting paid by the patient. We're getting paid by their insurance company or we're getting paid by Medicare, Medicaid. So we'll get paid somehow. Um. And so our focus isn't on well, the patient anymore. It, well, and they've tried to like remedy that, but then the government has stepped in to remedy it with, you know, Affordable Care Act when that all passed. Mm-hmm. Like one of the big things was, you know, patient, uh, how do they put it? It's not patient, um, patient yeah. satisfaction <laughs> <Yeah>. scores. <laughs> and so we have patient satisfaction scores after patients leave the hospital. And so how do we do better at that? We make sure the food is to their liking, which is not what they should be, you know, like the things that we're doing to increase patient satisfaction scores are not actually taking better care of the patient. So the government steps in to make things better and it always makes things worse. And something else, like this is something I've talked about quite a bit is like, we've lost our ability to have a second opinion completely. You know, um, the government... It's a government patient relationship. It's an insurance company patient relationship. It's a hospital system patient relationship. But you don't have a physician patient relationship anymore because there's an algorithm taking care of you. You know, there's an algorithm for the insurance company. Like, what are your best practices? Um, there's algorithms for the hospital. You know, there's all these things and metrics they have to meet. And it really leaves out a lot of the physician's own opinion and their relationship with you. Yes, in general, this is just in general, not even COVID. Sorry, this isn't. Yeah, that's true. But, anymore, actually, but it, that you know, led up to it's the all fiasco. Related, though. That led up to this. Yeah, yeah, it totally is all related. I'm, it's all the stuff that's been building, and now it's like the cherry on top of what was already clearly a broken system. And and like you said, like here's the government trying to solve this problem, but oh, the yeah. government caused the problem, which is classic government mo. Um, you know, they'll break your leg and then they'll give you the crutch and say, here, I'm, I'm here to help. Um, but you just going through that whole explanation of kind of what's going on. It, I mean, tell me if that's not a pretty fair parallel to the university system. And so here we are, like create like the government's getting involved in one way or the other. And, and so with um with healthcare, it's stepping in and getting involved in the insurance and the payment. And so then it's also getting involved in the university system by giving these like, what, go- mm. go- government guaranteed backed loans for these people right. to get useless degrees. So they sign away their lives. Um, you know, they wouldn't be able to buy a house like, you know, but they're able to enslave themselves to unbelievable amounts of debt because the government, you know, swears it's going to follow through and back it up I, I, but nobody ever like really questions the math or thinks about it too hard they're just like i'm gonna go to party but really so like 
things that matter uh, and things that don't. So things that don't matter, but kids are, you know, really interested in, um, oh, like who's got the best uh, football stadium? Who's got the best dining hall experience? Um, again, like, you know, point, yeah. but like, what about the teachers that are all Marxists and um, <laughs> teaching, teaching you that your parents are assholes when really like your parents work their asses off to be able to afford to pay for, you know, like my parents worked their asses off their whole lives still working to be able to afford and start saving money before I was born. I'm the oldest of three children. And we didn't have to take out student loan debts because my parents were preparing ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. and we went to in-state schools or cheaper out-of-state schools, like got money from the university, like figured out how to do things cheaply and all got pretty substantial degrees, you know, that we were not just sitting on mountains of debt afterwards. But, you know, I guess personal responsibility, whether it's a student loan debt or your own freaking health, <laughs> you know, that's too much to ask for uh, and rant. Well, I mean, I think it... Well, yeah, you, you want... Sorry, go ahead. You want the you want to be able to have the personal responsibility too. Like now, not we only it. is it taking the personal responsibility, it's can we have yeah, it? You exactly. know, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I feel like we're not teaching our youth how to be, how to think for themselves, how to be self sufficient. I feel like you know, my daughter does go to a public school. I'm not even going to lie. And I feel like I do spend a lot of time supplementing a lot of the things that she learns with you know, teaching her how to think for herself and question everything. So I anticipate she will probably, probably be a little bit more difficult as she gets older, but and I, I'm just not, I'm just going to not care if the teacher complains to me about things, but you know, I would just want my daughter to know how to do a lot of things on her own. There's a lot of things like I even, you know, think when I was, when I finally graduated high school, there's so many things I wish I had learned. That um, yeah, I'm same. never going to make the mistake of my daughter ever getting on her own and not knowing how to do certain these certain things. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll be writing checks down the road, but there's going to be ways that she's going to know <laughs> learn how to have her own bank account, how to budget her financial her, responsibility. Yes, those kind of still things. applicable and with technology. She's going to understand what insurance means too, because. I remember not really even getting what insurance was until I started working in the healthcare field and I started seeing patients of of mine, you know, the ones that I noticed, my first foray in healthcare was in mental health. And I was looking at people who, um, who had been on disability, they hadn't had a job, they were on drugs. They had all this coverage for all these programs through government insurance. And then I would see like somebody who worked and paid for their own private insurance struggling to even get the same type of services and they had the same problems. And so I was always mm. wondering like, why are people who are self-sufficient having the harder time finding, you know, the services they need? Whereas, Or even the time to go, you know, take advantage of these services if they can even freaking afford them, mm-hmm. like, you know. Chances are they have to work their ass off to get, you know, to be able to buy that coverage themselves as opposed to it kind of being handed to them. As far as like all of the healthcare, I feel like mental health is the most lacking and insurance companies are still behind a lot on knowing what to cover and how to help these people. 
because I mean, I'm seeing people who are, you know, they're alcoholics and, but they were functioning alcoholics. They worked and they were paying insurance and now their insurance isn't helping them get into a rehab facility. They have to do an outpatient. And I mean, outpatient rehab is not going to work in many cases. And I'm sure it does for some, but I saw so many of our patients coming back and relapsing because they really need to just be in a place for 30 days and really get immersed in a program, you know, but I'm seeing people who never had a job. They were always welfare kids. They never knew how to take care of themselves and they've just lived off the system and they can get into a rehab facility for 30 days. No problem. There's, there's something broken about that. If, and, and like I said, why are we dependent on these third party payers? You know, I just don't understand it. This seems like the insurance company is not doing what it's supposed to be. They're not, <laughs> they're not doing, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. They're I not. Mean, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess that's my thing is like, why I remember when Obamacare was the big news story. And everybody was talking about how we need to, mm -hmm. everybody should have access to insurance. And I'm like, don't we need to have access to healthcare first? Why is it so important yeah, to have insurance? They've equated, the, they've equated the two things. And again, that's a word They're mind game the that, that, the, that the propagandists have done. Um, yeah. Again, I think it's all intentional. There's nothing that gets past them. There's no opportunity to dispel improper information to other people that they won't pass up. Um, Jesse, quick question. Why do you hate poor people? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I don't hate poor people, but I will say this. <laughs> Having just worked in the field with all, you know, with people who have been on welfare most of their lives. And a lot of these people are mentally ill and, and they probably would have a hard time keeping a job. And, that, and there's no doubt about it. First off, th these type of people, they need extra vocational therapy. And there's just few and far between. I, I can't, I only knew of one vocational therapist in that, uh, when I was working in, in mental health at that time in our town. And that was, he was basically over all of like our, our East Tennessee area. That's a lot of counties to try and be the one vocational therapist to help these people. Right. And you know, some of these people, they, they, they probably could have a job. They just need the skills. They need to learn the skills. They need some, maybe some more people to kind of hold their feet to the fire a little bit. And another part of it too is, you know, people are poor, not because they are, you know, born poor. It's decisions that they make and, you know, decisions that they learn from their mom and dad. It could be generational poor decision-making. And so they have to know why they are doing the things they're doing and then change that. It, that's why I think mental health does not get the attention that it needs because if we really put all the attention into it, most of healthcare would be about <laughs> that. I think, I mean, yeah. it goes, the poor decision-making goes not just to like poor life choices, but it goes to what you put in your body, your exercise, how you view your own health, and when you notice if something is wrong, when you go see a doctor, you know, it really is the beginning point, I think, for a lot of healthcare. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so true. Yeah, because I think. So true. 
Uh, we were just talking to another person about diet and how like, you know, your diet can affect how you think. And when you're eating a really crappy diet, you can't think clearly and it can make you depressed and anxious. And so a lot of times I think a lot of people mm -hmm. think, well, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I need to go see a therapist or I need to get on Prozac or whatever. But it might be as simple as maybe just looking at what you're eating every day and just making healthier choices. <laughs> and I, I, people, I don't know why people think that's so difficult, but I guess it is because you're stuck in that, that brain fog. It is hard to get out of that. But once you get out of it, you know, making, if you make a habit of eating healthy every day, it's kind of like drug rehab. Once you make a habit of not picking up that drug every day and you're replacing it with a healthier choice, you know, you find that you are, it, it becomes easier as mm -hmm. time goes on. Yeah. We've kind of got it backwards on what's easy and think, what's um, hard. Like we choose a harder you way know, of living. Like for... I said kind of before, we were already living and seeing the realization that our system, the system is broken. Um, basically, people are in terribly poor health. I said this before, but we, anybody who is paying enough attention, and especially you guys, like, and really, like, you, Rita, working within the hospital, we were a very, we are a very sick society overall. Yeah. Um, you know, people's health choices have not been very positive over the past few decades, I'd say, and I don't think they've been very positively guided towards making proper health decisions um, on their own. And then, you know, so much, I think, um, so much gets put on the doctors to fix things. And it's, you know, if something's wrong, they'll fix it. Or, you know, we'll take a quick uh, drug to fix it. You know, that it's all, like, doable and that it's not just, like, a constantly upgrading and updating machine like our that our is our body you know it really does require constant maintenance and care um and so you know the main sicknesses that were plaguing our country before people even heard of this uh virus from china shall i say <laughs> um <laughs> dare i say the china virus um so you know people were obese like our country, the United States, like crazy high obesity rate. And, you know, what comes with that? You know, diabetes um, in children, even like diabetes, the kind that you're not born with, but the kind that is dictated by a lifestyle, um, heart disease. And, and then like, you know, the in increased um, cancer, cancer rates aside, well, you know, that's a different I think I think that's a mix of things, but just even the basic ones of like you're fat, you're eating poison mm -hmm. and you're just getting fatter and your health is all like your entire body is shutting down because of that. And so imagine like those people like our country getting attacked by a virus that, you know, affects your respiratory system, circulation system, your circulatory system. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, we were hit hard. I do think, oh, I said, I've said this before and you guys can both tell me what you think, but, um, I think I already know what you think. Like, I really do think, um, a lot of the policy has probably had a great effect on, um, the casualties, these policies that they're following, um, 
rather than the virus itself, perhaps, especially because I think there are ways to either prophylactically treat this or did I say that word right? I don't know. It's a big Mm -hmm. word. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. (laughs) Um, Phonetics to treat this in advance, like to prepare your body so that it's in a better state to fight infections, um, foreign enemies coming in, really anything like that. And then, you know, things to take at the first sign of sickness, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no focus or discussion on that at all. And then, you know, if there is, you're a Q follower, Trump supporter, um, and you believe that drinking fish tank cleaner, you know, (laughs) just all the, the crazy things and lies really that the media told us this year that somebody actually legitimately said and, but anyway, I mean, it's like, again, it's because that questions the control. Because if mm-hmm. anybody has an op- an alternative that they can, um, you know, do themselves or even with their own doctor, like all of a sudden the government and the medical, medical industrial complex had to step in and um, say you were wrong and couldn't do that. Well, it all, like, yeah, like you were saying, it's any- personal responsibility. And for whatever reason, um, if we empower people to take control of their own health and take some pre, you know, take care of their bodies before it gets infected with something, you know, then I, I wonder if people think that will hurt their jobs or hurt, you know, their ability to make millions of dollars at, you know, at the pharmaceutical companies. I, I don't know. You know, it seems it seems pretty simple to me. It's just, you know, don't don't eat a bunch of food that, you know, makes you fat, increases your um cytokine levels, you know, makes you feel like you want to take a nap immediately afterwards. That's a big sign. <laughs> yeah. Probably not a good sign. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'm not I, I know I don't always eat healthy, and I know I, it's taken me a long time. I I used to work on the floor, and I remember just eating sugar all day just to, so I had the energy and then crashing at the end of the day. I was not a good example <laughs> to my patients at that time. But, you know, I, I can only blame myself, and I think that for some, whatever reason, people don't want to take personal responsibility. I just don't – I don't understand it. I've – I mean – I think more our generation do, but I, my mom has literally gone on, on her Facebook and said, Hey, you know, we've, the numbers have gone up. So what can we do to boost our immune system? And her friends are saying, are shaming her and telling her that she's being insensitive and she's not taking this seriously. And all she's doing is just simply asking a question about how to get healthy. Yeah. (laughs) And I just, I do. I don't think. I don't think a lot of people, so I think there is a part of people that don't want to take responsibility, but I don't think a lot of people know how much power and responsibility they have or they could have over Mm -hmm. their own health because I don't think as a system, healthcare system, because it is a system Mm -hmm. set up, I don't think that we have done a good job of explaining that to people because Mm -hmm. it takes the power away from us and we've got empowered patients coming in to see us then. Um, you know, that makes the job a little more difficult sometimes, mm-hmm. I think, for uh, some people. So I don't know if that's why, but I just do think that we haven't really, like, for example, you know, we talk about you guys brought up like obesity and like being, quote, fat or whatever, you know, 
I think that uh, magazines, TV shows, news, most women think that what they eat is to either make them skinny or make them fat. Like they Mm -hmm. don't think about the inflammatory response it's causing in their body. They don't think about that. They just think (laughs) it's going to matter how they look. And, you know, when it comes down down to that donut, you know that. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh, man, like, do I really care about that diet I was on to look good in my bikini? Like, that's like literally all they think about. They don't think about the diabetes and the heart disease and all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, we don't even really do a very good job explaining that. I don't think. And and I don't think that we spend a lot of time in school, in, in nursing school, learning about nutrition and what, how foods affect us. Anytime. Yeah. And I know doctors and don't. I didn't learn any of that in nursing Doctors school. don't get that. I mean, I, t- I had one. I remember I had one prerequisite in nutrition and that was it. And it was very basic. You know, I learned how to count calories. I don't think we had any of it. <laughs> but isn't it weird? Oh, maybe like yeah. calories and stuff. Yeah, maybe. But isn't it weird? We have a whole class, like whole semester on pharmacology, something that's ever changing. Yes. But you have to memorize all these random drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I think that's weird, right? Yeah. It seems weird. But the way your body processes food doesn't really change. So shouldn't we learn yeah. that? I don't know. And one of the things I that came away from, like learning in pharmacology, was um, that they, like, one of the things I really learned, I wish, I don't think they really talk about it much anymore, but they were saying how, like, certain medications affect. Like the book I had would talk about how certain medications would affect different people of different ethnic groups, which is really important because when you realize that, you know, certain ethnic groups cannot handle certain doses that white people can handle. But when you learn the studies that they do on these pharmaceutical drugs, a large amount of the people that are in the studies are white males. So how would they know like how it affects that they find these things out because these groups of people overwhelmingly have negative reactions to these medications. And that's really sad. Um, a bad way to find yeah, out. Interesting to think about. Yeah. So well, honestly, that kind of sounds um, like, I feel like I hear parallels between what's what you just said and what's going on with these various vaccine yeah. trials yeah. that um, are being rushed through. And, and keep in mind, everybody listening, like, if you get vaccinated anytime in the, I would say anytime in this year, the next few years, consider yourself a trial. Um, yeah, you're uh, a subject of a study. You're part. You're a, <laughs> you're a trial subject. You're part of the study. Like this is not normal. And I know everybody likes to keep reiterating that this is the new normal. And so maybe this uh, really speedy vaccination process is part of the new normal and should be. I think everybody should be very, very cautious. And I think what you just said is like what I've been hearing is that, you know, um, so people in the in the clinical trials that they've conducted thus far, like the and clinical trial might even be like a generous term of what they've done because mm-hmm. that's like a very actual, like very thorough process normally. But so the studies that they've been conducting thus far, it's like, you know, a certain set of people have been receiving these vaccines and the people who didn't qualify to be these subjects were people like that um, were the immunocompromised, um, people with allergic react, like historic allergic reactions. And um, 
to either like food, like just, you know, high in allergies or previous like poor reactions to vaccines. And so, but those are all, so those are the people that weren't tested in all of these really nice, shiny articles that you're seeing with really like nice 90 percentile numbers, like all the good stuff, right? Like, so the people who supposedly need these the most were not the ones tested and there were reported side effects from those. So now like here we are, okay, we got the rushed approval. I, now we've gotten um, where we sit today, December 15th, I think two have now been approved by the CDC and the FDA. Yeah. Um, so, but like for emergency release, not approved, just emergency. True. Release. Emergency authorization. You're right. Yes. And, and Yes. Again, very important distinction. And um, so, but like, so the people who are supposed to be receiving these or were until I guess it started coming out, but more and more people were actually having some allergic adverse reactions. Um, they're like, well, wait, never mind. We, we would um, not suggest it for <laughs> the immunocompromised uh, people with allergic reactions, people who have previously had. It's like, well... I thought, like, that's the whole reason we're shutting our homes because mm -hmm. people that are immunocompromised right. can't can't handle getting um, infected. It's just, I don't know. Nothing seems to make sense. And I, it's been re really reassuring finding other people that are questioning this as well. It makes, like, I it's feel, really just. I feel so alone. <laughs> I know that, like, here in, they're going to, they're going to, like, Pfizer's going to test it in Tennessee. So. Um, they've already talked about some of the hospitals around here. They've talked about how they're going to go about They're They're really, they're, what's the word I'm trying to think of? They are going to suggest it heavily that their health, their healthcare staff get the vaccine, but they're mm -hmm. not mandated to get the vaccine. But it seems mm -hmm. like from what I've heard from friends is that it's almost like you're shamed if you don't and they'll and there'll be like a big scarlet letter on you if you don't get it you know so um there's a lot of pressure for healthcare workers to get it and i and one of the things that i just worry about because one of the things that i was reading is that the i think he was a former um head of aller alert allergies and respiratory diseases the doctor i can't remember his name but he had looked at the studies that they did on mammals and he, they found that the mRNA vaccine had inhibited a protein that, that helped create placenta. And so they were saying that mm. this could potentially m create female sterilization and maybe we should hold off uh, and test it some more to make sure that's not what's going to happen. But um, they're going to go ahead and push it through. And, and like, you know, how many nurses are females? <laughs> And how many of them are of, them. of the age that want to have children? And I remember, I remember working on the cancer floor and I remember, um, that would be a problem with a lot of the nurses just being on the cancer floor. We'd have a lot of nurses that would have early miscarriages because of exposure to patients who had implanted radiation that we didn't know about and they forgot they had it. And that happens all lot. <laughs> So, um, and sometimes you may be pregnant, you don't know you're pregnant, and then you're exposed to something that causes a miscarriage. So that would be a big problem already. And I remember that being a big issue in, in healthcare. A lot of nurses had miscarriages from stress or from exposure to chemicals and toxic things. And 
radiation. And um, so here we are adding on to that. Another thing for women who want to have children, you know, to worry about. It's already, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Rita, but I've worked on the floor as a pregnant nurse and it's hard. So... Yeah, it is because there's a lot of stuff to avoid, like constantly making assignments. Now, like I'm not, you know, I've had kids, but um, making assignments, avoiding giving certain patients to certain nurses all the time because yeah, they can't be around that stuff. Yeah, I've had people send me that same video you're talking about with the sterilization and ask me, and I'm like, I haven't researched it because I've already made my decision. So I don't even need to know. Like I've already made my decision that this is a no go for me. So, um, but, um, oh, I was going to bring up there, there was a really interesting article in the BMJ. I'm not sure if you guys saw it. Um, I've shared it on my Instagram a couple of times, but it was like, is this, um, vaccine going to be effective? And it basically, um, he, they interviewed Tal Zaks, who's the CMO of Moderna Mm -hmm. and he uh, basically said we didn't study that. <laughs> we I we didn't study it. efficacy. So literally like quoted saying, and he says, do I, he said, um, do I wish that I could prove it's effective? Yes, because I believe it is. And so I, I just found that very interesting. I think it's one of the best articles on this vaccine and how it was studied, specifically on the Moderna one. But he goes into that they didn't study you know, the elderly, they didn't study the population that is being uh, hospitalized much and they didn't study transmissibility. Mm -hmm. So if it's not decreasing transmissibility and we're not able to give it to those that, um, or shouldn't be giving it to those rather, I don't know that anybody's going to actually come out and say you can't give it to those people, um, but shouldn't be giving it to those that are uh, in the uh, most at-risk category. What's the point? Yeah. You know, the point's got to be financial at that point, right? I mean, yep. that's that's the only, which we all already assume, but I don't know how anybody could look at this and not see that. It's it, glaringly obvious I, for me. I All I can but, think of is that we live in a country with people who are eating junk and they can't think clearly. They don't want to take personal responsibility. They're, we have mm-hmm. people who are, they've been locked in their houses for eight to nine months and they've all they're staring at screens. All, they, there's no new movies being Not made. Good information. There's no new movies being made. All the shows are on hiatus. It's all hysteria. And if you watch the sports, like anything on sports, it's all just propaganda. Like it's all Black Lives yeah. Matter. Everyone or wear in your sports mask. has COVID. So it's you're completely being propaganda. It's massive brainwashing. Massive brainwashing. It really yeah. is. And it makes me sad. I was in a break room the other day. Yeah. I was in the break room the other day and CNN was on and I was just like, oh my gosh. I was like, this is why people are the way they are. Well, yeah. It, <laughs> it makes, it does help you understand why like, they get, why people get so hysterical. It, yeah. Cause they are being yeah. told to be afraid and they're. Well, the news anchors are hysterical. Yeah. You know, the news anchors yeah. are like. They're right. You're right. The news anchors... They're preparing yeah. for the end of the world. I mean, they're not really, though, because they still go ride their yeah, bikes. No, only they on, go out to dinner. Only on screen. And some of them even have affairs with, you know... And parties. Yeah. And I mean, we know that... Married people. They're still doing their life, but they're getting on TV and they're getting emotional. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it has an effect on the people that are watching it. And it's really sad that people are falling for it. People I know that 
um, in my own family and in my friends that are smart people that that they're led by their and, emotions. And they've drank that yeah. Kool-Aid. I guess uh, it tastes good and like it tastes virtuous, um, <laughs> among other things. It's it's really, I, as a Christian, you know, I I struggle with like, oh my God, like I hate, who don't I hate these days? Like I hate everybody, <laughs> but like I need to find it in me to be compassionate and like, and feel and feel some sympathy for these people because clearly, like, if they are this hysterical, they are not in a good place mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally, spiritually themselves. And so, I am trying to work on <laughs> having a big enough heart for me to, you know, send enough love their way that just I want everybody to wake up. I know most people won't. Um, it's never that case. It's never the case that they would. You know, it's not. It's not likely. It's not really even in a lot of people's programming to quote unquote wake up and see the world yeah. the way we see it. But um, anybody who's capable of it, I'm sending you mm-hmm. daily, <laughs> daily emotions and vibes and prayers. Like, please wake up. Please wake up. One of the things that one of the posts that you had on Instagram, Rita, that I really liked was the anatomy of a fact that you put up. Yes. Because I think that. Oh, yeah. That is what will help wake up people when they realize the people who are giving you the quote unquote facts. And, you know, she really lays out like these fact checkers, for example, that you see online when you're looking at an article, which everything has a fact checked on it somewhere. But when you look up these fact checkers and you find out who's funding them and who's behind it. And like one of them was like um, the Bill Gates foundation was um, funding like one of these fact checkers. And then George Soros, it even leads back to George Soros. I mean, it's just like, why does everything lead to him? (laughs) Yeah. This one, the fact checker like is linked in with that political, I can't remember what it was called, but you probably have it pulled up there, but the guy that founded that company that's funding the fact checker company, you know, one of the funders, he's the guy from eBay that founded eBay. And so you search him and everything he does is with George Soros, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. You know, it's like this, it's the same people over and over. And like all these, all these uh, companies that are funding these people, like they're all blasting like, their UN agenda initiatives, you know. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it all kind like of goes all, back to you these know. people. Was it Omid? Yeah. Omid You have to. You. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that guy. But they. Yeah, he's the eBay yeah. guy. But some of it is hard for people though because all of it sounds good on the surface, you know. Mm-hmm. Like when you read it, it's like. For the common good. And I'm like, that's a huge flag like phrase. <laughs> yes. Like if you hear that, look deeper, you yep. know? Well, that's my, I, that's one of the things I think that, I don't know. I feel like I've always been taught that if it's too good to be true, then it probably is. 
And usually, I remember that. And Where did that go? And then the, there's no one size fits all approach to everything. Everybody's, I mean, everybody's Again, different. Where did that go? Yeah, all these old wisdoms. So the common out the good because they're racist or something. <laughs> the common good. There's no such thing because what works for one large group of people can be yep. detrimental to another group of people, and we are seeing that yep. play itself out with this whole COVID thing. Like in my town, we've had. We had drug overdoses now. We've had people committing suicide. We've had people who are dying of cancer who could have easily been screened and treated early. I mean, just Mm -hmm. you name it. In every town, there's horror stories like this. And these people were left. Their deaths were not considered as important as as the COVID deaths, which is. Which is so awful. Is not true. You know, like we, we. We get the daily ticker, the death ticker, how morbid, of anybody who might test positive for COVID-19, mm-hmm. um, which really it isn't even that specific, honestly, if you like get into the nitty gritty details of these uh, testing protocols. But, you know, and, but nobody else's life matters. I mean, it's just, again, how you kind of know that it's, and that or have to think that it's probably a PSYOP is like, we literally just went from a year of the whole Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter versus No Lives Matter. And really now it's only COVID lives matter and other deaths, or like other lives don't matter. It's just like what a freaking mind game. Yeah. But really. Yeah, I, it's I, like they're just wanting to, they're stripping away individuality um, and lumping everyone into big groups, meanwhile pretending like individuality individuality matters by way of Hollywood type of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, in very super in a very superficial way. Yeah, superficial but way. But really, like yes. what they're yes. doing is breaking you down, and you yep. don't matter. You do not yeah. matter. You're selfish, actually. Like so, if you think you matter, you're selfish, and um, you're killing grandma, or you know you're driving up the numbers in the hospital for your bad behavior. Like nothing about your Mm -hmm. life matters. Everybody else's life matters except yours. Well, Um, and I think what it comes down to is it's kind of like, you know, like when you are a single mother in the state and everybody in the community is responsible raising your child, then nobody's raising your child. Right. Same thing goes with this healthcare public property. (laughs) And we're, I mean, the people that, and the thing it comes down to is like it, Supposedly, we're doing this for the elderly. We're here to protect the elderly patients. They're the highest risk. But I really have seen Mm -hmm. the elderly have been completely just not taken care of. Their emotional needs and everything else have been put to the wayside. And they're stuck in their homes and or they're stuck in a nursing home. And they're just sitting ducks. They don't know if when the next time they're going to see their loved ones. And if they do get sick and they end up having to go to the hospital... They are at the mercy of these people who don't care about them, don't know them. And these awful top-down policies yeah. that can't be changed. Um, my aunt went to, my aunt who had a history of lupus for, you know, well over a decade and even had cancer this year from, that was like caused iatrogenically from her um, transplant medicine. Um, but anyway, so she ended up at... um 
you know, what we thought was going to be a really good fit for her, given her medical complications and um, it being a research hospital, you know, they really want to find, like, they'd love to send her home and have it in that they cured her and they treated her and she was able to keep on living and she wasn't going to be a casualty. But I guess, you know, um, when your hospital policy is that you can't give them a drug that is actually specific, or maybe not specific for, but like previously used for decades on lupus patients. I'll give you a clue. Starts with an H. Their hospital policy was that they didn't give anybody yeah. that medication, even though that's something that I guarantee she took previously. It worked for her. And so instead they gave a woman with one and kind of a bad kidney um, who had just survived um, – brain tumor <laughs> radiation like chemotherapy treatment all year um they gave her remdesivir yeah. because she tested positive on a PR pcr test um but anyway so it's really like probably these policies that again one size fits all they can't change and um it's a policy that really who is it benefiting it's not they're not benefiting the patients yeah i'd look yeah. at new york I mean, nobody wants nobody wants to talk about the fact that New York was a graveyard. And I, that wasn't just because the virus is scary. It's because of the policies they enacted. It's every, how they handled it all. Um, they were very fast to put people on ventilators, too. And ventilators killed, killed people as well as putting these older people who were sick in the nursing homes. It took them a long time to realize yeah. that... People with COVID already have damaged lungs and the and the ventilators just kill them. They never would have been able to come off of them. So, yeah, there's so many things that I'm just so frustrated with our healthcare um, system right now. And I think I've always been, but I think this exacerbated it. <laughs> I've I've seen a lot yeah, of yeah. my friends. <laughs> talking about retiring and just getting out of the, out of the system. Cause they are just, they just don't feel like they're making a difference in helping people anymore. That's a bad, that's bad. If you're, yeah, we right? need healthcare workers and we are, if you're making healthcare workers feel like they aren't do that, they can't speak their mind and they aren't making a difference in the, in any positive way, you're going to lose a lot of healthcare workers. And then what do you have? Taking away all their motivation to join the system that act like the system, just generally speaking, that does need them. Like we all need nurses, we need doctors, but like you know, more and more people aren't going to medical school to be, and they're not becoming doctors because yeah. there's no incentive to be a doctor. You get burdened with a ton of medical school debt. You um, like it's really hard, and then you don't get to even like reap the benefits of all that hard work as much because you know you're stuck at a hospital that's more of an institution than like actually like something that's gonna generate income where does the income go it goes to the administrators because again this is like the college analogy i gave basically the mushroom cloud of administration and bureaucracy that we see and which is making uh, college so expensive is making this like whole healthcare system really like top down heavy and expensive. Yep. Anyway, it's a failure all around. <laughs> you got to keep yourself healthy because um, we really can't count on um, people at the top. 
to do so. It'd be nice if there was a way for like nurses to get exempt themselves from the hospital system and be able to like start a business of their own and be able to like kind of lease their services out for people. Like I would love to do. That would be so awesome. I would love to be a hospice nurse for people if they, you know, that they don't have to use an agency. They can just, I could be there and me and like, like I could have like a small business of people. We rotate out and stay with patients and things like that. I would love to be able to do something like that, but they make it so hard to even begin that, you know, to even get a license to do that. And all of the, uh, yes, the liability and insurance that would you'd have to have to cover your own butt in case something goes wrong. I do think um, we're going to see, like, now's the time for more and more black and gray markets to emerge. Like, that's just what happens naturally in response to an over-controlling state and um, regulatory body. So we see that in, we see that in basically anywhere that the government's kind of like choked it. So I do think like the idea you just put forward, Jesse, wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, <laughs> like somebody needs to be doing that. And again, like there is the issue in like these huge hoops to jump through that do, do make it scary, like the liability and how expensive it would be in protection. But I mean, like, you know, two um, consenting adults can do anything that they want to together, you know, sign a contract. I will not hold you liable. Um, I trust that, you know, you're going to give me medical care. Um, I'll do my part. You do your part. And, um, you know, sign a contract. It like we they they build everything up like so much and it's yeah. really just all I could go on all night and I can't because I'm definitely like winding down but it's <laughs> it's it's protectionism and it's in the medical field just like it is everywhere else like including freaking mm-hmm. like cutting hair it's protectionism yeah. I just yep. think that. I think the big takeaway really though is that we have to take personal responsibility for our own health and we're better off when we do that and you know question everything and like like you did with that that um, Instagram post is really a good example of how to work your way backwards from when you're presented with information how to check all the pieces to see if that is an actual you know reliable source of information I mean just you can even do that with CNN or MSNBC or Fox. Look at who their major sponsors are. Yes. A large part of these people's sponsorships yes. are coming from yep. pharmaceutical companies. So whatever they tell you about the far- the vaccine might have a, a big influence by who, you know, funds them, pays for their sponsorships. So. Yep. Anyways, I think. That's exactly right. I think we pretty much solved the world's problems just now. Yeah, what what didn't we fix <laughs> tonight, guys? Well, it is getting late. Um, I think you might be an hour behind us on the East Coast there in Central Time, but I'm sure, you know, with kids and nursing and a long day, you've got your own uh, bed to attend soon. Um, Rita, again, thank you for joining us. But before we all sign out, where can our listeners find you? And if there's anything else you want to say or plug or share, please go ahead. Uh, you can find me at Rita Rogers Co. Rogers with no D 
um, <laughs> and then CO. Um, Maybe that was I don't it. know why everybody always wants to add a D. <laughs> um, but anyway, RitaRogersCo.com. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, which I don't really use much now. And then started up a parlor. I don't know. Just Rita Rogers Co. anywhere. I don't know where I'll be <laughs> eventually. But Very true. Just look for me there. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, Jesse, want to remind everybody who might not know or follow us normally um, where they can find us. Find really like you kind of managing, <laughs> <laughs> managing our social networking. Uh, yeah, um, we in. are mostly in, uh, involved on Instagram, and so you can find us at the Voluntary Vixens um, on Instagram. But we also have a Facebook that w- that we link to every once in a while, and um, we have a Twitter account. And our Twitter is different; it's Vixens Voluntary. And then we also have a parlor that we're not really, you know, we're not really using right now. We kind of just set it up because a lot of, we were shadow banned for a while. And that's at Voluntary Vixens. Yeah, that's. So. Um, we seem to have been uh, taken off the shadow ban. Yeah, which, which is nice. I'm cool with. It's very nice. It's like Christmas. It's like a Christmas <laughs> present. Actually having um, followers again and, you know, interaction with our our audience. Um Let's see. Any other Maddie thoughts before we go? Like Jesse already said, like we've kind of um, harped on a few times in this episode and generally one of our themes, your independence really does start with you and within you. Um, starts with your health, your diet, everything you intake, whether it's information or food, you know, be mindful and considerate um, of just really everything coming in and out of your life um we this, hope everybody this is probably going to release on christmas so i want to say merry christmas to everybody or happy hanukkah or kwanzaa yeah merry christmas happy holidays we hope everybody <laughs> we hope everybody enjoys them with their family um which to whatever degree you guys want or feel comfortable with do your own thing and um you know i'm sorry yeah live it's your life selfish. Live your life. Live your life. You really only get one. And um, I'm sorry that these people tried to put everybody's life on pause, but that's unconscionable. And, um, you know, please make the most of it this season. But, um, you know, until next time, we'll probably catch you in 2021. Um, In the meantime, keep it sane, keep it peaceful, and keep it voluntary. <laughs>